Chapter Twenty One of the Riddle Ring by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One. Why summon him and trust not me? The faithful Whaley was looking out of the windows of the red flat near Berkeley Square one evening about seven, a few nights after the evening when we saw him last. He was somewhat puzzled in mood. He had not been quite able to account for the manner of the chief these few days past. He did not by any means approve of the petticoat interest which to all appearance the chief had lately been determined to import into the dramatic fiction of the lives of the little confederacy. Whaley had a sort of superstition on the subject. It amounted to this. They three— Sir Francis, Whaley himself, and Marmaduke Coffin—poor, good, absurd old Coffin—had all been equally unlucky in their married lives. No flitch of bacon could be won by any of them in any conceivable Dunmow festival. Why, then, transport the ill-luck along with them? Why take up with it again voluntarily and unsought? Why run out of one's way to get hold of it? Whaley had probably never heard of Hogarth's sign representing the man loaded with mischief, which used to hang in Oxford Street up to quite recent years. The man loaded with mischief had his wife seated on his shoulders. To Mr. Whaley's mind, a man was loaded with mischief who had his wife or any other woman on his shoulders. Suddenly a cab stopped at the door, and Marmaduke Coffin stepped cautiously out. There was a dispute about the cab fare, and then Coffin crossed the pavement. He glanced quickly, quietly either way, before he rang the bell at the door. There was something very peculiar about the walk of Mr. Marmaduke Coffin. The front of the foot, the toes— seemed to take a sudden and strong grip of the earth. They held on to it, and relaxed the grip, but slowly and cautiously. No matter how quick the pace of the moving man, the same peculiarity could be noticed in the movement. That is, it could be noticed by anybody who had an eye for noticing anything. Nine out of every ten people have not such an eye. To them nothing is peculiar, it is all as by lot, God wot. But anybody who had an eye a little better instructed would have noticed the peculiar movement of Mr. Marmaduke Coffin's walk. The same peculiarity might be traced in the movement of the beasts whom the noble savage pursues, and in the movement of the noble savage himself. The instinct in each case is that of not going too far in either direction to be able to turn and wind with a single throb and impulse of will. Put as much force as you fairly can on the impulse, but all the same catch the earth and grip it so that you may be ready to turn and wind at any moment with all your full strength, all your full speed. That is really the foundation and secret of this peculiarity of movement. It was a secret which showed itself in the step of Marmaduke Coffin, but it made no impression whatever on the unimaginative and uninquiring mind of Mr. Albert Edward Whaley. 
Mr. Whaley had not many friendships, but when he did make a friendship he generally took it for granted. Whaley himself promptly opened the door of the flat. "'Hello, my noble sportsman!' Whaley exclaimed. "'So you have come over, have you?' "'Did you expect that I was not going to come over, Mr. Whaley?' Coffin mildly asked. "'Oh, no, Coffin. I knew you would come, old boy, and that was only my way of welcoming you, see?' "'I am sure you meant it well, Mr. Whaley.' "'Why, of course I did, Coffin. What else on earth should I have meant it for? But now that you have come, do you know what you have come for?' "'No, I don't, Mr. Whaley, but I make no doubt you can tell me.' "'Aye, not a bit of it, old man. But you really don't know?' "'I don't know anything. I got your letter.' "'Yes, yes, of course.' "'And then I came.' "'And then you came, and that's all?' "'That's all, Mr. Whaley. I wait for further details, as they say in the newspapers.' "'Do they?' Mr. Whaley asked somewhat distractedly. "'I hadn't noticed.' "'Do they what?' Mr. Coffin asked, a little out of tune with the latest question. "'Oh, well,' Mr. Whaley pulled himself a little together. "'I wasn't quite thinking of what the newspapers say, "'or about the further details they may find it necessary to wait for.' "'What I wanted to ask you was whether the chief hadn't given you any hint "'about the business for which he brought you over here.' "'No, Mr. Whaley, I didn't ask him any questions.' "'Why, of course you did not!' Whaley exclaimed earnestly. "'He knows what is best. He knows what he wants done. "'I don't ask him any questions, I can tell you. "'But I thought perhaps he might have let you know "'what he was bringing you over to London for, "'and told you to tell me.' "'No, Mr. Whaley,' Coffin answered, with all the quietude of self-conscious honesty. "'He told me nothing at all.' "'And he didn't even tell you to ask me?' "'No, Mr. Whaley, he didn't.' "'All right,' Whaley said, in restored good spirits. "'He'll tell me when the right time comes. He said that he would, and of course he will.' Marmaduke Coffin let his eyes fall on the carpet as he heard these words from Mr. Whaley. It had appeared to his mind as if he must have been summoned over from Paris to London on some very peculiar business. He had certainly counted when he came over on finding Whaley in the full secret and on receiving instructions from him. But it did not take him long to get hold of the fact that he was brought over to London for business which, so far at least, had been kept out of the knowledge of Albert Edward Whaley. This was to him like a note of coming promotion. We all know what a trouble it is when any service is clogged by a lack of promotion. We have had to make rules about this in the army and the civil service of our country, by virtue of which some of the grandest triumphs that were accomplished for the state in other days could not be accomplished for the state in our days. This we call progress. Now, there were no such rules, to be sure, in the service to which Mr. Marmaduke Coffin had devoted himself, 
and he well knew that he might go on until the age of ninety-five should he live so long without receiving any promotion if any other man could do the work he was wanted for better than he could so he felt a thrill of pride and hope and joy when he heard that he had been called over from paris to undertake some business about which as yet mr waley had not even been consulted mr waley on the other hand felt a little put out by the fact that he had not been consulted but his loyal heart was easily satisfied by the assurance that he would be allowed to know in good time and that it would all come out right there was silence for some seconds then coffin spoke in his laconic monosyllabic sort of way chief not in no he's not in now if he were i shouldn't have kept you waiting all this time coffin old boy in when he didn't say my sententious youth didn't say a word to me about expecting you this morning or waiting in for you but i think you had better wait a little here i think he is dining with some chaps at the voyagers and it's very likely he'll want to see you later on thank you mr waley i'll wait my time is his all right old man so is mine well tell me all the news from paris not the fashionable news coffin i know you ain't just the sort of man to take an interest in the news that would suit the ladies pictorial just at that moment the sharp ring of a telegraph messenger was heard at the door waley jumped up excuse me a moment coffin he said breathlessly i always like to take in these messages myself when i get the chance right said the sententious coffin in a moment waley was back looking a little crestfallen it's a telegram for you coffin he said blankly coffin took it and opened it with his usual air of melancholy indifference to events of life strokes of fate sudden inrushes of good luck and all the rest chief wants me at the voyages at ten-thirty he said concisely oh he does all right waley murmured then i needn't wait here any longer coffin asked don't see any necessity don't give yourself up too much to the pleasures of the capital coffin you are a rare old boy i know for the pleasures of the capital i'll go and get shaved said coffin some of the shops in bond street don't close until eight just half past seven now until ten thirty your time is your own waley said use it and don't abuse it old chap thanks coffin replied and he vanished from the room with his peculiar tread the movement of one who felt that he might find enemies and dangers and pitfalls and snares anywhere along his way rum chap coffin waley murmured to himself wonder if he really likes anyone think he does like the chief don't think he likes me wonder if he hates most people and would do them an ill turn or is it only his manner people have such odd sorts of manners sometimes his reflections were cut short by hearing a latch-key turn in the front door the chief he thought he must have met coffin on the stairs sir francis rose came in 
he was not looking quite so bright and airy as usual a shade of embarrassment and even of sombreness was over him he saluted waley with an air of indifference oh waley was all he said you expected me chief didn't you waley asked expected you oh yes of course i did did you meet coffin he has been here the chief contracted his eyebrows and a curious light flashed from under them yes i met coffin it's all right he replied you don't want me just now waley rose to his feet just now yes i do i have time enough yet sit down the obedient waley sat down and waited silently for the next words of his chief look here waley you must get this young fellow off as fast as possible to patagonia or somewhere else the sooner the better what young fellow waley asked in some surprise they had not been talking of any young fellow it has been already mentioned more than once that mr waley's many excellent qualities did not include much imaginative faculty or much gift of what may be called dramatic insight into the feelings and the preoccupations of the minds of other human beings he had not for the moment the slightest idea of what his chief was thinking or talking about this young fellow jim conrad he is rather in the way here just now and i want him out of the way ah mr waley said reflectively i dare say that will be easy enough all right i am very glad yes that ought to be easy work my idea is that he will be only too glad to get away anywhere and the farther away the better good sir francis said turning in his chair contentedly then get him away waley there's a good chap fact is waley said confidently there's something wrong with the poor lad i fancy it must be the old story what old story well isn't there something that people always say about chercher la femme yes how is that what do you mean rose asked sharply and with suddenly contracting eyebrows i have long had it in my mind waley answered slowly and gravely that some woman is at the bottom of the whole affair he is in love with some girl who won't have him or can't have him and he wants to go away anywhere out of the whole business when a young chap like that is crossed in love he always wants to go away somewhere out of civilization lord bless you i have been like that myself in my younger days you don't know much about it chief i dare say for the women have generally done the love-making for you but i can see his case with half an eye rose looked keenly again at waley could it possibly be that waley knew anything or suspected anything of the real state of affairs but Whaley's expression was one of utter simplicity and innocence. "'Odd thing!' Mr. Whaley went on in a sort of philosophical study of life and the ways of men. "'Odd phrase, that, being crossed in love. 
Now, I have long been of opinion that the real cross in love is where the girl is willing to have you. By Jove, what becomes of the love then? How soon it all melts away. But he don't think that just now, bless you. Yes, I fancy I shall not have much difficulty in getting him off to Patagonia. Sir Francis flung himself back in his chair. Every word that Whaley was saying made him only the more convinced that Conrad would not go to Patagonia just now. He felt a passion of hatred and jealousy rising in his mind against Jim Conrad, but it would have been an unspeakable torture to his vanity and his self-love to know that Whaley suspected anything of the feelings that were thrilling through his heart. To Whaley he must always seem the conquering hero among women, the irresistible Don Juan, the wrecker of female hearts. It would be a pitiful come-down for him if his devoted follower were to find out that Sir Francis Rose could be jealous of any man, especially on account of Sir Francis Rose's own wife. He hastened to assume a tone of less keen interest in the matter. "'Well, get him away as soon as you can, Whaley. "'Of course I need not tell you to make good use of him. "'He might be made of great service to us in some business or other.' "'Oh, you trust me to turn him to good account. "'He's a clever young fellow, and a plucky young fellow, "'and we'll put him on for all he's worth. "'You may depend upon that.' "'I can depend upon you for anything, Whaley. "'I know that quite well. "'So you can,' said the gratified Whaley. "'I'll soon find something for him to do. "'I have taken somehow a great fancy for the lad.' "'Yes, he's a very good fellow,' Rose said with an air of indifference. "'Where are you off to, Whaley?' Whaley had not had any intention of going off anywhere just then, but he took the hint and got up. "'Do you want me to come to you at the Voyagers later on?' Whaley asked. "'Voyagers? No, I think not. I don't think I need trouble you.' "'Coffin is coming, ain't he?' "'Coffin? Oh, yes, Coffin is coming, by the way. Yes, yes, so he is. But I need not trouble you, just yet, at all events.' "'All right,' said the obedient Whaley, and he took his leave. But he was thinking to himself as he went out of the room. "'Can't make out the chief these last few days,' he was saying to himself. "'He promised me I should know everything, and so far I don't know anything. "'And Coffin is to see him tonight, and I am not to see him. Odd. "'He says he don't want to trouble me, but, by Jove, "'it troubles me a good deal to be left out of the swim in all this.' Suddenly he heard the voice of his chief calling after him. His mind brightened as he ran quickly back. "'I am to go to the voyages after all,' he said to himself. "'Oh, it's only this, Whaley. I don't think I shall be at home all day tomorrow, and it isn't worth while giving you the trouble of coming here. Good night.' "'What a lot of scruple about giving me trouble,' Whaley said to his own heart. "'Something new, all this awful care about not giving me trouble.' He lighted another cigar as he stood on the threshold. "'It's awfully early,' he
he thought. I don't quite well know what to do with myself. End of chapter 21